Good day, howdy, and welcome to Fleet Champions, where each week we chat to the people that have the stories, topics, and opinions on all things fleet. Real champions that keep the world's fleets moving. We look at the industry from every angle and through every lens. Operators, owners, drivers, enforcers, advocates, and more. But we're only asking the hard questions. I mean, not really all of them are hard. Some are easy. From trucking to construction, parcel delivery to waste, and everything in between. We hear how they've built things, broken things, and some lessons they've learned along the way so that you don't have to. I'm Tim. I'm Trent. And this podcast is brought to you by Whip Around. Tim, how are we going today? Trent. Trenton Tarantino, as we often call you here in the podcast studio because of your wonderful cinematic wizardry. Yeah. Mate, I'm good. Yep. I am good today. Good, good. We are it's a, it's another day. We're alive. We're well. We're breathing. Um, and I'm excited. The, today's conversation, our guest brought so much wisdom and it so much, I mean, practicality that you can walk away with if you are in the trucking industry. Um, if you want to start a trucking business, if you're a driver, fleet manager, um, or just someone trying to learn more about what goes on in this industry. We have a lot of really interesting people talk to us on this show, but I've always got a very special place in my heart for the the business owners, the people that have uh, built up trucking businesses. They have to weather the issues, the the challenges every day, whether it's the driver shortage. And Steve has some really interesting perspectives on that around the fact that there isn't a shortage of drivers. There's a shortage of, of good companies to work for. And I think that really rolls out through um, his attitude to how he has managed to run a successful trucking business contracting to FedEx for you know a couple of decades now. Um, and and all the things that get thrown at him from that. So he's a um, you know he's been around the block, excuse the pun, a, a number of times. And uh, to be sitting here today with us, not just as a business owner, but as a a mentor, a coach, a business advisor to to many others, I think gives him a lot of credibility when it comes to um, some of the the insights and and tips and tricks and advice that he can give to other people looking to um, to make a success out of uh, you know what is a pretty challenging inter- in- industry at times. Yeah, Steve Crawford's story from being a kid sitting with his dad in a truck to where he is now, what he's been through, the things that have failed in his life, the things that he's been able to accomplish, and how he's helping people now, uh, I think is so valuable to the industry and to the conversation. So without further ado, let's jump in to this interview with Steve Crawford. Happy New Year! We made it, y'all. We made it. It is 2022, and we are still here. And we wanted to say thanks for listening to the Fleet Champions podcast. You might not know a lot about our company, Whip Around, so let me just quickly break it down. So we take your paper inspections and maintenance processes, and we make them digital. Our customers tell us it helps them eliminate pencil whipping, undocumented damage. It helps them stay compliant, lowering their SMS score, achieve better insurance rates, collect better data to make better decisions for their fleet, increases uptime, and honestly, the list goes on. But for now, just go to whiparound.com to learn how we can do this for you. That's whiparound.com. 
Well, uh, welcome to the show today. It's an absolute pleasure to be back here again with my co-host Trent. Trent, how are you today? I'm feeling good. Good stuff. Weather's cooling down a little bit up there, I uh, I assume. Oh yeah, had some uh, pretty much a fire going all weekend last weekend here in our backyard, which is amazing. So it's feeling great. It's a good time of year. Now, uh, most importantly, we're here with Steve Crawford. Steve, how are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Steve, how, how's, how's the weather where you are? Uh, it's uh, clear skies today, probably high 40s, low 50s. I'm in the St. Louis suburbs, and uh, it's typical November weather. Mm. Steve, you have been uh, a part of the whip around story for a while. We were just talking about that before we hit record. And uh, you have been part of the whip around family, so to speak, since 2017 as a customer. But the reason why we're excited about having you on the show today is you are a very vocal champion for not only technology uh, in the industry, the whip around product, but for, uh, I guess, people, for coaching, for business, for a whole lot of different issues and topics that uh, we'll probably cover in some way, shape or form today. So really exciting to have you on the show and uh, no doubt we'll pull some gems out of the conversation that we have today. So thanks for being here. Tom, pleasure to be here. I'm honored. Fantastic. Look, um, Steve, do you want to give us a little bit of a, uh, an intro into who Steve Crawford is and where you fit into the big bad world of, of transport? Well, I grew up in South Dakota. My dad was in the trucking business. So I learned a lot from him. Um, not only how to drive, but also a lot of things about the industry. And um, I've been around a long time. I learned how to drive a truck, actually, before I learned how to drive a car. And uh, I've been around my dad a lot when I was in high school. He took ill um, about uh, halfway through high school, and it ended up that they were getting me out of school early when I was a senior Um and uh, going to work, I'd get out of school at noon and I'd be at work by one o'clock and work till seven, eight o'clock, whatever. Dad's business was very, very small. Uh, but that's where a lot of what I learned and uh, graduated from, uh, I was 17 years old, graduated from high school and went, that was on a Sunday, went to work the next day, Monday and here 50 plus years later, I'm still working, still loving the trucking industry. Wow, what a story. People, I love to tell people I have a PhD, public high school diploma. <laughs> That's what I got. <laughs> uh, it works. It does. I love that story. We uh, we do generally uh, ask people how they found their self in fleet, but you've knocked that one out of the park uh, right off the bat, and I think that's a really interesting story to uh, to dive into. But to to warm warm us up, set the scene. Um, Trent, do you want to give us a few icebreaker questions? Let's see what uh, we can unpick about the Steve Crawford. Yep, absolutely. So, Steve, these can be short punchy answers or you can dig into them if you really want to but we'll make this quick um born and raised and where you live now i know you just sort of touched on it but again born and raised and where you're at right now it might be the same place but let's hear that yeah i was born in minneapolis raised in south dakota moved to st louis in 1988 so we've been here going on 33 years wow so is that because you love it or just you set up shop and you're like well i guess this is it um, in, let's see, it would have been 1988. 
eight, uh, the end of 87, um, the business that I had been involved in at the time was failing and I needed a job. I went to work as a part-time salesman for a company called Roberts Express. And uh, they found out that I knew how to recruit. And then they offered me a recruiting position, but required me to move to St. Louis. I was living in Sioux Falls, South Dakota at the time. And so I took that job, moved to St. Louis as a recruiter and uh, recruited a lot of contractors who I saw becoming very financially successful. And I couldn't go up any further in management because I didn't have a college degree. So I thought, I'm going to just recruit myself. And so I did. And so I started my own business in 1991. Wow, that is incredible. What business at the time that you said the business I had currently was failing? I'm interested. I'm already interested. You've said so few things and already there's so many things I want to know about you. But what business was that that you were coming out of? Well, in South Dakota, it was trucking. Um, I had uh, an opportunity to partner with somebody else that could provide the trucks and the financing. But the terms and conditions of the uh, of a lot of uh, the financial part um, were not favorable. They weren't really, really bad, but they were tilted a little bit towards the investor. The other thing is, is poor planning. You know, nothing will teach you better than failure. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, say we got seven tractors and bought them all at the same time, running about the uh, same number of miles. So that means, you know, you got 10 tires on each truck. We had 70 tires that came due to be replaced all at once, and you don't have the money set aside for the reserves. So, well, okay, now you're borrowing money to pay for operating expenses, and uh, pretty soon it gets to be a snowball. Wow. Then it was just time that, nah, this is not working. Well, thanks for that. All right, I'll move on to question number two, um, which is, what is a not-so-guilty pleasure of yours? Oh, my drug of choice is ice cream. Ice cream? What kind of ice cream? Because that's the real kicker. Well, in St. Louis, we have a um, uh, a chain here, if you will. They're from uh, Chicago called Oberweiss, and it's all, you know, they, they, when you go to their stores, they have the Oberweiss story there of how Peter started the farm back in the 1900s. It's premium ice cream, and I guess it's like, yeah, that's kind of a, you know, and, and it almost like where it can become a crutch. It's like, ooh, go get your ice cream fix. So um, I, one of the things is, is that, uh, uh what are some of the other guilty pleasures that some people might have, you know, golf, hunting, fish, or whatever? Um, I was asked just, I was a few months ago, what do you enjoy doing? I had to think for a while. I enjoy growing businesses. Mm. So I, I, I love seeing other people succeed also. A lot yeah. of times your success is based on helping other people succeed. Wow. Love that. That's awesome. And I think we'll be talking more about that a little bit later. Um, but ice cream for for the kind of, uh, you know, guilty pleasure, ice cream is the one. Is there a specific flavor? Uh, anything with chocolate in it. It could be chocolate almond, chocolate marshmallow, chocolate peanut butter. If it's chocolate, it's good. <laughs> Love that. Amazing. Okay. If you had to eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, that's going to be hard. Well, it has it has something to do with bacon, probably. Uh, that you're already on the right track. I'm already think this is a good idea. Hey, I do want to interrupt with one thing here. If you think about it, a lot of the good stuff in life starts with B: bacon, brats, beer, bourbon, beef. You know, just that is a, another golden fact from Steve Crawford. I mean, that is true. 
All of those things you just mentioned are on my list of things that are amazing. Just when I thought your not so guilty pleasure was going to be the first non-alcoholic answer that we've had on this show. No, that that's coming. We that that leads us to our next question because we'll go ahead and say, all right, bacon is is on the list for if you had to eat one thing, it's going to be something to do with bacon. Number four is what's your favorite drink? With a dinner, I really do enjoy a good red wine, uh, dry or semi-dry. Um, I just spent a weekend with a friend down in Texas, though, and we threw a distillery and tried a few of the bourbons and everything like that. And, you know, a little bit of that is um, is good, but I'm at the age where I don't have to prove that I can drink a double or anything like that. <laughs> so a little red wine is good. Yeah. What, and what is the most you've had in one sitting? Of red wine? Yep, of your favorite drink. Well, um, yeah, probably three glasses, three or four or something like that. We went back to... Uh, I was younger, there would probably be beer, but we would measure that by the number of six packs. You have to understand, I'm old enough to remember buying Miller High Life for a buck a six pack. Mm. So that would be dangerous. The other little twist here that you guys will love is from the age 19 till about 21, it was about a year and a half, I made a living playing a rock and roll and in a rhythm and blues band. What? And I was making $140 a week playing uh, piano and Hammond organ in this band. And back in 1972, it was hard to spend $140 a week. I, you know, I, it was just fun. You know, burgers were 75 cents. Or, no, I'm sorry, burgers were 15 cents. Pitcher of beer was 75 cents. Do we have, was this an original band or, was, or were you guys doing covers? We're covers. Man, do you have any recordings of this band? No, that was, that was so long ago. Um, we, but we know we did not have any tapes or records or anything like that. We uh, most of our gigs were uh, with the um, uh, with the military across the Dakotas, Minnesota. Is the um, the uh, Air Force? You know, the Rapid City, Grand Forks, Minot, Duluth um, are all part of the. Uh, you know, the, they, I think they call it distant DEW, distance early warning uh, from back in the Cold War era. And so we played at a lot of the bases, either the officer club or the uh, NCO club. That's super cool. Um, wow. Did you grow up playing piano? Yeah, I started when I was eight. So was that, the, was that in the family? Mom or dad play? No, um, it, but we had visited some cousins out in California for Christmas in 1961 and they had a piano and my sister and I kind of took an interest in it. So mom and dad got us a cheap piano, then a little nicer one, a little nicer. And uh, I started taking piano lessons. Uh, actually I started college. I, you know, I, you know, I said, I just went to high school only. I did start college. I tell people college was the best semester of my life. Um, but in order to go into the music program, at uh, the college in Aberdeen, South Dakota, music was education. So I would have been a teacher and my dad's health got worse and worse. And so back then you could make five grand a year being a teacher and you can make 10 grand a year driving a truck. So um, do you play any, is, is the, the basement you're currently in the extent of your keys piano playing or is, does it reach anywhere else these days? No, well, we, uh, I got my the good piano that my mom and dad bought in 1969 is upstairs. I have another similar electronic. I, I dabble around my son. That's, uh, it takes care of all my whip around needs and whatnot. Jason um, is in a band, and once in a while I'll sit in, you know, play like, you know, some Leonard Skinner and things like that. But, but uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I'm a frustrated musician. I would like to play out more. I would like to, uh, uh, be able to use that uh, skill and talent. I just have not taken the time to pursue it. Yeah. What does he play, your son? Same thing, keyboards. Okay. 
the mystery keeps unfolding and I'm loving this. Um, all right, we'll jump to the last question for the icebreakers. If you had to trade places with anyone in life, who would it be? If you had to trade places, I know you love your life. It's a good life. But if you had to trade places, who would you trade places with? Boy, got to think about that. Hmm. You really, you actually got me stumped on that. I think it's so easy to have so many dreams. Um, honestly, there's a guy that you probably haven't heard of. His name is David L. Cook. He's an author and he's written a book called Seven Days in Utopia. And there's a movie about it too. And it's just really about how you can influence others. And, um, and the outcome of that uh, book and movie and things like that and some other things that I was asked um, was that if you could have, you know, if you could write what you want to have on your epitaph, what would it be? And the conclusion that I came to is if mine says he helped me find my way, I'm good. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful, Steve. I'm not sure who that is, but I'm going to be looking that up. I think, Tim, did you already, did you look it up over there? Yep, I, as I do, pull these things up on, uh, I saw on, you type on in. Google. Yep, no, I can't say I recognize it, but I am going to follow it up after this. Yeah. And I guess, uh, Steve, you know, you have always uh, stood out to me as someone as a, as someone with principles, with an opinion, with um, a good set of values and, and how you operate. And we've always appreciated that here. And I guess when we were talking about who would be uh, some, some great starters for this show, to kick us off, to really set the scene, you were obviously uh, firmly at the top of that list. Dialing that right back to something you mentioned about how you you got into the industry, um, your dad fell ill and you sort of transitioned out of school potentially a little bit early. Was that always the plan for you, albeit maybe moving a little bit faster than you anticipated then? Was trucking in the family blood at that point? Was it where you were always going to head or... Did that sort of land on your lap? Growing up, it was pretty much a, uh, it, you know, I don't know if you even want to call it a dream. I just understood that, I, you know, someday I was going to be working in and taking over the family business. Uh, my granddad, who I didn't really know, he died when I was really, really young, but he was in the railroad. My dad uh, went into trucking. Um, my dad was an inaugural member of the Teamsters Union in 1935. He dropped out of high school at the age of 14 to sell newspapers. And that wasn't because, oh, you're a dumb kid and all that kind of stuff. That was the height of the Depression. And um, he sold newspapers uh, so that family could have food to eat. And then so trucking was one of the best jobs you could get into. Uh, he would have only been 19 years old. And then he went on into management with his company and then ended up with his own. That's how we ended up in South Dakota. And so it was already understood that I would probably be in the family business. The key thing that came along in the mid to late 70s was deregulation. We were heavily regulated and protected by the uh, Interstate Commerce Commission. And when those rules were going away, we were the small fish in a large pond with a lot of really larger fish. And dad had the opportunity to sell the business. And uh, I could see the writing on the wall that it would be impossible for me to sustain it. I was only you know, 25, 26 years old at the time, but I could see that, hey, this ain't going to work. And so he uh, he sold, and uh, I worked for the guy that bought it for a while and, uh, and moved and tried a few other things and just ended up back in the industry. That's a great story, and you're still here decades later. I guess the assumption there is you really have built a passion for it. Um, you know, any regrets from spending the career in trucking? There's obviously ups and downs and and no doubt some anecdotes along the way, but it's it's something that you've found a huge passion for. 
Well, uh, the thing is, and my dad instilled this in me, I think, and there's been a lot of other influencers too. You know, along with my dad, there was a lot of other fellows that were in business and trucking specifically that took an interest in me and shared their wisdom. And, and for that, I'm eternally grateful. But transportation, you know, we, we live in such a um, supply chain dependent world. And so I tell people what I do is not pretty, it's not glamorous, it's not sexy, but they need me 52 weeks out of the year. And so in my business, especially in the model today, we don't have the high highs, but we also don't have the low lows. Yeah, and that, and that's something we've grown to appreciate. I, I think the transport sector, supply chain, particularly in this world where e-commerce, um, the the technology that is you know connecting people from home and work into into retail into commerce, has just put so much more um, pressure and demands and expectation on that. It's something that you you and I have talked about in the in the past is this sort of expectation of convenience, um, and you are squarely in the in the crosshairs of meeting that demand, that expectation of convenience. Um, is that something that you think has sort of underpinned the success that you've had in business? The the technology of of society at large, rather than necessarily specifically just transport technology, um, is that something that you credit to have given you success over the years is this evolution of online shopping and e-commerce and things like that? Well, I think so. And again, the, um, the mankind's push for convenience, um, you know, they came up with fire, they came up with the wheel, you know, centuries and, you know, eternities ago. And it was, again, to make life more convenient, more comfortable. Again, you that era where I grew up in, in the 60s, grocery store was open until noon on Saturday, six o'clock during the week and closed on Sunday. So you bought your groceries early and, you know, if you didn't have it, you didn't get it till Monday. Um, recently we were talking with some people like broccoli, for example, I never tasted broccoli until I was 25 years old. And it's like, what? Again, growing up in that era, the supply chain was different. The only vegetables that we had were canned vegetables and they weren't, they were the ones that were, um, call it familiar or whatever to the area. Again, uh, South Dakota, we had corn and beans and, and things like that, but fresh asparagus, fresh broccoli, things that are pretty common everywhere today. We did not have the supply chain. And uh, so I guess that's, you know, okay, you got broccoli. Is that a convenience? Well, I don't know. It's just, it's the advancement of uh, life, of life getting better. But the convenience stores that are in my area today are bigger than the grocery store that my mom shopped in when I was eight, nine, 10 years old. And um, you buy milk there and it costs a little bit more, but you don't have to run clear to the back of the store. Mankind wants things to be more convenient. So as we search for convenience, technology um has been the answer. Uh, a lot of people uh, maybe haven't researched this, but the technology advancement of the 1800s was a transcontinental railroad here in America. And with that came the telegraph. And when they sent the first transcontinental telegraph from the East Coast to the West Coast, within three weeks, Pony Express was out of business. So my question to people today is, do you want to be the Pony Express? Yeah. And you've got a great quote on your uh, on your LinkedIn bio, Steve. I was looking at yesterday, and uh, it, it rounds out with "adapt or die" will become the norm, and that really resonated with me. And I think you encapsulated that really well, and and that anecdote you just told then. 
Um, I don't know whether my three-year-old would agree that the uh, improvements in supply chain around broccoli was the best thing to happen to mankind. <laughs> um, but I, I certainly see where you're getting at. And it must be pretty exciting for you growing up in that era, something that Trent and I certainly aren't familiar with. Um, we really have grown up in an era where convenient has been sort of part and parcel of everyday life. But being at the front line of these developments in supply chain and and being such a, a you know an effector of that to see how um, goods and services uh, are transported across countries in in you know more real time sort of manners, has that been something that's been a bit of an excitement for you over those years as as reflecting on where where your life started and and what you've had a role to play and where it is now? Yeah, I, I, the answer to that is yes, and there's a couple of dimensions that come out that from. I know uh, from way back when I was a kid, riding with my dad, um, he would look over the um, you know the load factor, how much money per load, how much weight per load, how much productivity, and things like that. Almost to the point where you know I'm exposed to that as a you know not even a young man as a young boy, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old. Almost to the point where being efficient becomes being the, you know, the, the, the purpose of being, I finally got to the point where, you know, it was okay to slow down mowing my grass. If I, if I mowed my lawn in 30 minutes instead of 25, you know, that, that was okay. Um, and so that, that push for productivity though, um, was important because a lot of old line businesses, factories, trucking companies, whatever had to measure productivity. And we still do today. But back in the era of the first truckload shipments, um, you know, we didn't, I mean, we didn't even have the toll-free numbers at the time. Uh, trucking companies and brokerage companies back in the 60s, early 70s had huge, huge phone bills from collect calls coming from drivers. And where was your next load going to be? And then it uh, became that we did end up with the toll-free numbers, but you went to a truck stop and you called into dispatch, you gave them the callback number at the truck stop and they would page you. Uh, or call back in an hour or something like that. And the old truck stops used to have banks, banks, 20, 30 payphones. Young people today don't even know what a payhole looks like. And um, and uh, to now where you can just sit in the truck with your handheld device and, um, and, and get a phone call, or there's a lot of brokerages out there that you have the app to get a load. You can just push a couple buttons and they download the data and you know where you're going, including the GPS coordinates. Hey, it's Trent, and I wanted to take a, a quick pause on the current conversation. Pretty good stuff so far, right? Uh, look, I'll make this brief. At Whip Around, we've spoken to thousands of companies with fleets that range from 10 to 10,000 assets. And the biggest pain in their ass? Well, it's paper. Really. When they boil down their big issues, it always comes back to paper processes. Pencil whipping, undocumented damage, missing maintenance, a lack of compliance all because they're still relying on paper for inspections and maintenance. Whiparound fixes that. We take your paper processes and replace them with our solution. You can customize any inspection to fit your needs. Again, completely customizable. You can have your team take photos when they find a defect on an inspection so your mechanics can actually know what the problem is instead of just playing a guessing game. Not to mention schedule out service tasks, create work orders, and set reminders to go out so nothing gets missed. Go to whiparound.com to learn more. Pretty incredible. With things getting easier, there must surely be things, equal and opposite reactions, where with technology, things have become harder. Is there anything that that you can sort of identify or that, that you deal with on a daily basis that you think, man, I wish we were actually back in, 
in those days where we didn't have smartphones, we didn't have some of this technology because it actually made this portion of what we do a little bit easier or less complicated? Well, there's sometimes that um, the conclusion you might make would just be, well, I'm going to jump from A to B. And sometimes going through the technology, um, you know, and it's not that the technology is bad, but technology uh, in order for it to work, it has to follow a process. And so I remember once that I was standing in an office with a shipper and right across the desk from me, and they were asking, can I take this load? And the shipper was up in the northern part of Missouri, and they had to call somebody in Wisconsin. They could call somebody in Pittsburgh to call somebody in St. Louis to call me standing three foot away from this person to tell me that it was okay to go ahead and take that load. And it's just like, man, technology integrated. <laughs> and so sometimes the process um, can be... Know confusing, but it, but in most cases, in order for technology to work, you do have to follow a process. Well, Steve, I would love to kind of understand and, and for anyone listening to understand what your what your business is currently, what you guys do on a day to day basis at Steve Crawford Trucking. Okay, well, we have thirty tractors, and we contract them with FedEx Grounds. So we're pulling their trailers, uh, running their routes. Um, the majority of them are assigned, where it's the same thing every day or the same pattern every day. We have a few of them that are, you know, the whether you call it the extra board, unassigned board, whatever, uh, and they, you know, will just take whatever's available. So, in this particular business model, which I've been doing now for a little over twenty-six years. I don't have to own the trailers. I'm uh, yeah, the, um, There's a lot of advantages to being connected to another big carrier. I've also done the route where I've had my own authority and gotten my own shippers and things like that. There's plus and minuses to both of them. Uh, in the current uh, in the current model, current version of what I'm doing, being connected to a company like FedEx, um, they're so closely. Uh, joined with e-commerce and e-commerce continues to grow. The information that we're getting is that the growth of e-commerce would have been where we should have been at the end of 2024 is where we are now. And that was because of COVID. Wow. Because people, people found out it's, hey, what was that word we were talking about earlier? Convenience. People stayed home and ordered online, mainly out of fear of the virus. But now this is really convenient. <laughs> And they're continuing to buy online. And yeah. so if you're in the supply chain distribution di- uh, business, um, that's a good thing. If you're a small retail merchant on Main Street, uh, it's not such a good thing. Yeah. And I'm curious to your experience with your with your dad inside of a truck. First of all, I'm curious what you did in the truck. Like, how did you entertain yourself without an iPad in front of you? No, that's sort of a joke. But uh, truly curious as to how it is now from being a driver, having that experience to owning a business, dealing with drivers, does that help the experience? Does, has it, does it change the way that you view what they're doing every single day? Um, so how has that impacted your life and, and now owning a business where you have drivers under you? Yeah. Well, I do want to circle back to that with riding in the truck um, as a kid. Um, our attention spans were different back then too. We didn't need this nonstop stimulation. Um, you count how many cows went by, count how many fence posts you see, how many trees. Of course, South Dakota, you can count trees, and there's not all that many of them. Um, but bring along the same comic books. Um, we had AM radio, but the AM radio stations back then would broadcast, you know, way out far. And um, 
my dad loved baseball and we would listen to baseball games in the truck if we were driving at night. So I, that's where my love of baseball came. And, um, so it's, yeah, it's, it, it was good and it was the best of what was available at that time. Um, and having been a driver is, I understand the, um, the dilemmas of being on the road, but even then, that's a little bit limited because my being on the road, say even five years ago, uh, compared to being on the road today, you know, just, just this past weekend, I was in Dallas to visit a friend to go to a concert and the traffic. I mean, I just, I mean, we have traffic here in St. Louis, but it was like nothing compared to what we had in and out of Dallas. And I thought, man, if you got to drive a truck in this, you know, and so you look away, it's you know, 600 miles. It should only take you 10 hours to get there. Yeah. If you're going 60 mile an hour across South Dakota, you could do that. But mm-hmm. when you can only go 10, 15, 20 miles an hour at rush hour, um, you know, it's like, yeah, what I experienced shaped who I am, but we have to let reality set in. And hey, this is uh, this is what we're dealing with today. Uh, but I think I can relate with drivers because when they discuss problems with me or challenges or whatever, um, I get it. Um, but the thing is, is we have to try to fix it with today's answers, not yesterday's. Yeah, that's such good insight, too, to even say five years ago how much it's changed on the roads, even um, not even within the industry, just as far as, you know, what rules and regulations have, have shifted in that time. But I think that what you're saying and what I find so interesting and I think valuable within, uh, you know, this this industry when it comes to driving trucks is that you're able to empathize with the truck driver because you yourself have sat in a truck and driven well, thank you. And the thing with that, too, though, is that I try to share with them that um, that although I understand, we have to be connected with today. An illustration is, is back in 2008, the average length of haul for over-the-road drivers was like over 750 miles. And by 2018, that was down to about 480, and today it's even less than that. And part of that is we attribute it to what we call the Amazon effect, but it's everybody else. And still, a lot of companies, the big shippers, used to have three warehouses in the United States, one maybe in Pennsylvania, one in the middle part of America here around St. Louis or Chicago, Memphis, whatever, and another on the West Coast. And that took care of their shipping needs, and now instead of having three shipping points, you got, it seems like every time you turn around, there's an Amazon warehouse being built or a new FedEx uh, hub or a new UPS hub or whatever. And so the product is actually closer to the consumer. And so instead of my trucks making one trip out and back for 400 miles, 200 miles one way and 200 miles back, instead we're probably going out 50 miles and making double round trips. And that's today. And, you know, and so if we're yearning for those good old days for the 780 miles, it's just like, you know, it's like Pony Express. It's gone. Yeah. Great, great insight. How do you find drivers have adapted to that as a driver, um, having been a driver, having employed a, a whole bunch of drivers? Is that kind of shorter haul, for lack of a better terminology, something that drivers enjoy more? Do they like kind of higher repetition, shorter distances, or is there kind of a yearning for, you know, that really kind of romantic trucking through the night, long haul over the road type experience? And is that being lost in the industry? And is that partly contributing to the driver shortage that the industry is seeing? I think the, um, you know, that so-called romance of the over the road thing, um, 
you know, again, growing up in the era that I did, we had that sense of adventure. Um, I am confident that if I would have grown up in 1870, I would have been the advanced scout for the wagon train. I'd have been the first guy out in front saying, hey, this is the way to go. Um, not saying that to brag. It's just I'm always interested in, hey, you know, what's around the next bend? That fascinates me. Um, we uh, just, you know, a combination of uh, the culture that we live in, how we educate people today. We maybe don't have that sense of adventure or the sense of adventure that we have is more like, hey, I want to go to such and such an island and go rock climbing or I want to go hike the Appalachian Trail or things like that. And so the drivers today um, that yearn for that long haul, um, those jobs are still there, but we're seeing more and more uh and I should, I was going to say young, but it's even, you know, middle-aged people too. We want to be home. And so, yeah, you, you know, the short haul, you got to do a lot of drop and hook in our particular case, we don't have to touch any packages or anything, but you're dropping and hooking. Um, that's different than being able to just get in a truck and drive cross country, but you're home every day. You want to see your family. You want to see your kids. You want to go to your daughter's uh, piano recital or your son's baseball game or whatever it might be. So people being people are willing to sacrifice some things to get what they want. And as an employer, we have to understand, and this is every employer in every industry, we have to understand for employees that this one size fits all that we had back in the 70s and 80s and even prior to that doesn't fit anymore. So the job satisfaction is probably equal burden on the employer as it is the employee. That's really interesting. And, and is that a generational thing? Do you think it's the, the millennial sort of ideology that's forcing that change? Or is it across all sorts of different age groups and, and demographics that you're seeing people are just wanting a different, uh, a different pace of life and, and different requirements like you touch on about coming home every night? In 2007, there was a fellow by the name of Rich Wold, uh, again, one of these guys that became a mentor. Um, we were talking about just different things of leading people and whatnot, and he said, Steve, do not fall into the be like me syndrome. Um, so much, you know, we, we want to complain about the millennials. Well, that's because they're doing it different than we are. And um, there's some millennials that are living in the basement of their mom's house. You know, you always hear about that story. But uh, there's also ones that are out there. They're aggressive. They're honing their skills. And I don't know so much that it's generational because I know a lot of older guys that um, are running through that. You know, I mean, they're, I hate to say irresponsible, or maybe unreliable, whatever the word would be. But I, to just pigeonhole people because of generation, I don't think makes sense. But a, a young person today, when they're talking about their goals, and I talk to them about the wheat fields of South Dakota, that, that doesn't compute. They, you know, it's like what's relative to what's going on in the world today. And in, in the context of the driver shortage, uh, and I'm not saying this is something that's necessarily part of your business, and we'll get onto sort of some of the people aspects and coaching that you're involved in, but what do you think is driving that? Why are carriers struggling to hire and retain drivers in the trucking industry? Well, I think there's more than one reason. Um, one of the things really goes back to, though, um, in our education system in America, we do not emphasize the value of going into the trades. Um, there's a being a truck driver, being a plumber, being an electrician, whatever. Um, 
it's almost to the point where you look down your nose. Uh, you know, here's a story to tell. There's a guy, he's a brain surgeon. He's at the country club and he's changing clothes in a locker room. A guy comes up to him and says, hey, doc, your practice must be doing pretty good. I see a Mercedes Benz in your driveway. And he said, no, my plumber came over to visit. <laughs> yeah, that That's America right there. You can become wealthy by working in the trades, but we don't champion that. Uh, another thing too, though, is it's a little bit different in the last six months, but since the mid to late 80s, I have said there's not a shortage of drivers. There's a shortage of good companies to work for because it used to be back in that taskmaster era of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. All I had to do was help wanted call Steve at such and such number, and you had 40 people applying for the job. And it's not that way anymore. And people are interested in not only the fringe benefits like health insurance and retirement and vacation and that, but is this does this place have a good culture? Do they care about me as an individual? Um, you know, we, we try to have a no vacation policy during peak, but one of our guys won a raffle and he can go on his two week trip somewhere to some island in the last three days of it are where we've got the blackout. Well, we'll figure out how to you know, get by without him. You can't turn down a two week trip to paradise just because we need a truck driver for those three days. But there's companies out there that would say, absolutely not. If you have to do that, you might as well quit and go to work somewhere else. That's dumb. I, I think that's so compelling, Steve, because something I, I, I'm passionate about in general is people. And um, I, today we have more knowledge. We can know how so-and-so down the street how their their culture is because we can see their people posting on Facebook or we can look at reviews um, at another company of, of their employees and how their culture is. So I think now we do we do have that advantage of going, well, I I'm, you know, I might be looking for work and I see that all these places are hiring drivers, but it looks like they have no culture or you get in and at this point, we know what good leadership looks like, or we've seen and heard people shout from the rooftops, oh, I work for you know Steve Crawford, or I work for Whip Round, or I work for so-and-so. We love the culture. I'm, I'm so happy they take care of us. So now it's like that curse of knowledge is we know too much. We You can't unsee, you can't unhear what you've heard. And being a, a good leader within a business is crucial today for keeping. We just did a, a webinar not long ago of uh, five retention strategies for drivers. And basically it boiled down to treating your treating your people right. No matter who you work for, no matter what industry you're in, it's treating people how they should be treated, taking care of people. And that's whether you're in middle management or whether you're the owner of a business. I think that's something that sort of lacks in, in most industries is not making money, but making people uh, like feel and valued and treating them well um, and pouring into your people. I think there you have a successful business because your people, they stay, they, they plant themselves, they get rooted. Um, so I, I would even love to, to hear more about how you do this for others and their businesses. Well, um, when it comes to others, uh, I'm kind of an open book and that if people want to ask me a question, you know, I'm, I'm glad to give them answers that the answers that I give them, um, there's a, hopefully a little bit of, uh, wit along with the uh, wisdom or whatever, but just trying to boil things down to yeah, everything that we've been talking about here for the past 45 minutes or so, 
really has revolved around how things have changed and how we've adapted to that change. But there's still some foundational things. Uh, people, you know, if you kick them, they cry. If you cut them, they bleed. And that's been true all throughout history. And But people will cry, if you want to call it that. Um, and there's a difference between crying and whining. Um, but the... Um, People have different hot buttons today. I used to be, it just didn't matter. I'll do anything for my career. And people today are like, you know, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice and not do this because I want to do something for my family or whatever. And um, so we, we try to have flexible work schedules. And I advise people that, uh, uh, that are getting into transportation and typically if they're coming into my segment of it is to staff so that you can adapt to the needs of both the customer and the employee. Now, when you're doing that adapting, you obviously got to stay within budget. You can't overspend or anything like that. But, you know, we, we, we got to have um, tradition. We'll enter in. We have to remember where we've been. But the truth is, for example, we live in an overnight world. Well, then, you know, I have a lot of people call and do you have any day positions? And I said, no, we don't. The reason people, the reason you get a package delivered on your doorstep during the day is because we work at night. And, you know, and if that doesn't fit them, I'm not mad. I'm not upset. Think about us later. But we, you know, that's that's what we do. The, the, some of the counsel, if you will, the uh, things that I like to share with other people coming into the industry is be prepared for the unexpected and, you know, just be ready to, it's better to have a response than a reaction. And just like my experience with the uh, 70 tires back in, you know, here 25, 30 years ago, whatever it was, um, be anticipating that you have to spend some money, be anticipating that you, um, that you know that you're going to have to um, to adapt, change. You know that the, the 780 miles became 450 miles, which is becoming 200 miles. That is the way of the future. Um, the more choices and more options that we get, also ends up being the more focused that you end up having to become. Because I can't be all things to all people. You all can't be all things to all people. I I'm sure I could come up with a list of technology suggestions that just flood you there at whip around of all things that you could do, but you focus on what you can do. I think that's really interesting, Steve. And, and you've got a pretty, uh, a pretty amazing handle on, on the change and the impact and the outcome of that over your career. You've talked about the concept of uh, the speed of discontinuous change. And I want to pick on that a little bit. Um, it's something that, that you and I have discussed outside of this, this podcast, but what are you seeing that pointing towards in the next decade or two in the transport industry? Where, where do your, uh, where do your binoculars kind of point towards some of these changes? Where are the pressure points at the moment? And, and what are you, preparing a response to that you don't want a reaction to. Well, and if I can real quick, there'll probably be some listeners that have not heard of a discontinuous change in the speed of it, what it means. And uh, in recorded history, it was about 5,500 years that man either spoke or things were written down by hand. And then Gutenberg invented the printing press in 1450. So that's roughly 5,500 years of history prior to that. 450 years later, we had the manual typewriter. 50 years after that, electronic typewriter. 20 years later, word processors. And today, we can send PDFs across the world. Or right now, uh, this Zoom meeting that we're doing, we're in three different cities and, you know, in, in uh, 
probably an equal number of different time zones or whatever. And um, th th those changes, not only do they come, they come rapidly. The next change, whatever it is that's going to come, is probably going to dawn on us quickly. There's going to be some revolutionary breakthrough, just like the telegraph was a breakthrough with railroads. I think it's going to have to do with the autonomous truck. I really don't know that we're going to go to our American culture or anywhere else in the world, possibly, um, being ready to see nonstop fleets of trucks going down the highway with nobody behind the wheel. I'm, I'm not sure that we're ever going to be ready for that. If we are, it may not be in my lifetime. But I think the thing that we will see is the platooning of trucks and the um, and, and again, going back to this driver shortage, just even on the delivery side, you see UPS and FedEx and Amazon, whatever, uh, experimenting with the drones or these little robots that go down the sidewalk. Um, in the autonomous trucks, for example, the platooning one is that you would have a driver in the first trucks, the first truck, and then two tractor trailers following it that's connected by Bluetooth, and the you know it just goes and back and forth. Uh, uh, with a single driver up front. Well, that is one of the technologies or one of the advancements that makes sense. But to pull into a truck stop, that rig is going to be over 210 foot long. Um, thinking of some of the truck stops out here in Missouri, the exit ramp and the turn that you have to make to get in the truck stop, they can barely accommodate 100 feet. How are they going to accommodate 210 feet? So uh, we're going to have to wait for things like infrastructure to be built in order for those things to come. Uh, but I think Things that make anything that makes stuff more convenient or more less dependent on a lot of human interaction. There'll always be human interaction, but we our trucks right now um, we have all automatics. Um, I guess ninety percent of our trucks are automatics. Um, they have the technology for lane departure and start and stop, or, you know, accident avoidance and things like that. And a lot of old school drivers. Well, I don't need that. I've been driving for thirty five years. Well. Yeah, I know you've been driving for 35 years, but some of this technology is just able to do things that we can't. And so the you know adapting your team to the benefit of the technology is so important. And you know, a lot of the worry is about, well, you know, we're going to be replacing people. Every business in America has a sign out in front of it right now, not hiring. Um, I don't think we're going to be, you know, I think some jobs that can be automated will be automated so that people that are in those jobs can go do something else. Are you willing to be retrained so that you can enter to a new area, a new era? That uh, That's probably the key question for all people. Really interesting stuff, and uh, you've outlined some some pretty interesting ideas and concepts, that, things that are really on our doorstep. Uh, one last topic I wanted to to cover off, and it really does segue in from what you were talking about there in, in terms of some of those advancements, is safety. Um, safety is such a pillar of the industry. It's important. Safety has a, a direct correlation with, with efficiency, with performance, with cost. Um, how do you see some of these technological advancements improving the safety of the industry um driverless trucks i think scare a lot of people because um you know they've probably had their computers freeze on them they've seen um bluetooth stop working on their phone when they get into their car and try and play their music technology isn't perfect and this reliance that we might have on some of these things uh, understandably gives people um, a bit of anxiety how do you see technology being a positive uh, influencer on safety? Well, I think it comes in measuring your habits and also in um, 
mitigation, if you want to call it, of you make a mistake preventing other mistakes from happening. I mentioned I was in Dallas this weekend. A friend of mine is an aerospace engineer, and uh, he also is a pilot. And he said planes do not crash when it's uh, determined to be pilot error. It's not because he made one mistake and that caused the plane to crash. He made a mistake and he tried to counter and made another mistake. And then he tried to counter that, making yet another mistake. And then that ends up being what brings the plane down. It's not that first mistake. So if our autonomous trucks, if the safety technology we're able uh, to develop helps me from making that first mistake, so I don't make the second and third, that's the advancement. Is it gonna eliminate all accidents? No. But if it can keep me from making that first mistake, I don't have to worry about number two and number three. Steve, absolute pleasure talking to you today. I think we could go on for hours and hours, and hopefully we will be able to get you back on here to continue some of the topics that we touched on. Um, a remarkable career in the industry and one that I feel is now being able to sort of uh, be packaged up and passed on to uh, to people like us who are learning things every day and no doubt people you're coaching um, in your business. And I know you do a lot of uh, a lot of coaching and, and mentorship to other people in the industry and in business in general. Um, thank you for being on the show and thank you for, for everything that you've done for the industry, for being a, uh, a, a very loyal whip around uh, a customer, an advocate, um, a champion of our product. You've had, you know, an impact on a lot of the things that we've done from feedback that you've provided us over the years. So um, hugely appreciative. Well, it's been an honor to be here. It's good to see you, Tim. Trent, glad to have met you. And hopefully we'll have more chances to connect and share stories. And uh, uh, maybe, you know, let's get together and play some music. I think that's a great idea. I would love that, Steve. And before we let you officially fly off of this Zoom call, if people out there in the, in the world are interested to learn more about Steve, whether that's Steve personally or your coaching or uh, Steve Crabber Trucking, where would they go online to learn more about you? We have a website. It's just stevecrawfordbusiness.com. Stevecrawfordbusiness.com. And we'll put that in the, the description below as well. Well, Steve, it, a pleasure to meet you as well. And thank you once again for being here today with us. You guys have a great week. Thank you. Trent, I told you that was going to be a good one. Yeah, you told me for a second I doubted just because, you know, I'm a human. I have my doubts at, at times, but wow, I shouldn't have. I, that was amazing. I, I think Steve has, we've known it, but it was good to hear the story firsthand. He is a, a real champion for change, for technology. When he talks about, you know, that, that bottom line of innovate or die, uh, and how important that is in the transport industry. I think it sums it up for me, whether he's talking about ELD, whether he's talking about um, any other technology that they are having to leverage to make sure that their drivers are happy, their uh, fleet keeps moving, it's safe, it's well-maintained, and, and most of all, it's, uh, it's driving the business a profit. Uh, technology is such a huge part of that for his world, and uh, I love the way he brings that attitude to the conversation we had and to the people that he's mentoring and and helping through their journey in trucking. Just a, a great, great guy to talk to. 
Yeah, absolutely. Not to mention the conversation around culture when it comes to the industry at large and this idea that there's a driver shortage when in reality, it's it's about the culture of these businesses not being able to keep drivers because they don't know how to treat their employees, right? I think that's a really big conversation and something that we can focus more on a later episode. Um, but I think there was a lot of wisdom and power in what he said regarding culture when it comes to the trucking industry. So if you have gotten to the end of this and you're thinking, wow, that was a lot that Steve covered in there. Feel free, go back, listen again, um, share this with someone that you think would find value in it. Um, and Tim, do you have anything before we hop off, before we depart? Just a big thanks to Steve. Uh, you know, we we really enjoy his time as always. He's he's passionate enough that that he brings um, his opinion to our product. He's worked with us over the years, and uh, I think you know his understanding of all of the detail in, in his trucking business has helped not just us, but a huge amount of other um, technology providers out there build a solution that really has an impact um, for the greater good for for companies like him. Right on. Well, hey, thanks again for joining us. And there's a lot more coming. Good stuff happening. So tune in. Make sure you uh, go and follow us on Spotify or Apple or wherever you find your podcast so that you don't miss an episode. Thanks again for joining us on the Fleet Champions podcast. To learn more about Whiparound, you can go to whiparound.com right now. And of course, be sure to check out the description notes where we have any relevant links about our guests and also any sweet deals we have for you, our beloved podcast listeners.